Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. A brand new series uh, out of the, 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 the chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 15, quite a well-known chapter, but we are not going through it line by line. We're actually preaching the heart of this chapter, and Mark did an incredible job last week. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to, to, you to go and listen to it, because this is a three-week series that we believe is, is helping us understand who Jesus is and what He's calling us to do. So just to give you some updates of what's happening in this chapter very quickly, the whole purpose of this chapter is basically Jesus' defense of his ministry. Jesus is being accused and called out on some things, and Jesus, instead of going all lawyer on them, all going on suits or, or whatever Boston legal upon them, he comes and he says, I'm going to defend my ministry as only Jesus can by telling them some stories. The profound, profound master communicator gets up and he defends his ministry. He gives the reason why for what he is doing. So this, so you understand what's going on here. We are laboring, and what we're laboring in this series, three weeks, is trying to show us that if this is Jesus' why, it should be our why too. That if the reason why Jesus did what he did should be the reason why we do what we do. Is that Okay. Logic, good logic, great, thank you so much. And you see what happens in the story, there's three different stories Jesus tells to tell the same point. And actually the point he's trying to drive home, and he's playing on all the natural human emotions that were surrounding him and listening him at, the, at that time, was this fact, that we are all obsessed with lost stuff. And I believe that's, that, that conclusion, that thesis reaches all the way into our modern day context today, that you and I are all obsessed with lost stuff. Let me explain how I get to that leap this morning. Is a few we, uh, about a couple months ago, I left home, and when I leave home in the morning, I do the Wallaby Hocker wallet keys phone. I've got them all, you know. You know, it's a wallet keys phone. And if you got it, too, you can leave the home. And, uh, and I remember leaving the home, and I thought, okay, I've got all this stuff. Go in the car, turn the radio on, you know, and you listen to Wacky Ibsen, some no smile FM. I'm still protesting. Bring back Ryan O'Connor, hashtag. But anyway, you know. And, uh, you know, you make the protest, you're on your way to work, you go, and then uh, my, my day began that, that day early with a breakfast with someone, and I got there, and he ordered the breakfast, and then as you start seeing the bill come, you're looking for your wallet, found the phone, found the keys, and you, you say these words that, that are true, but you know the person's going, you're lying. You say, I, I left my wallet at home today. They're like, yeah, yeah, good one, I heard that one before. I'll pay for this breakfast. But you're like, I'm pretty sure I left home with my wallet. Maybe, maybe it's in the car. Maybe it's in the car. So you, you pay the bill, and, and it's just that, that little nagging in the back of your head. Where is the wallet? So you go, and you get in the car. You open the cubby hole. No, it's not there. You rummage around in the front there, and you go, no. A couple of leftover energy drinks you chuck to the back. You know, no, where's the wallet? Maybe, maybe, maybe I was dreaming. Maybe I didn't take it from home. So you're late for the next meeting. So you go to the next meeting, and you're having the meeting, and I'm talking to the person. But as they're talking, it just starts going, because I'm going, where is that wallet? <laughs> and I can start, I'm starting to picture, I'm going, ID, cues, I'm going to have to cancel cards. Where is that wallet? You know, and like, you're listening, mm, yeah, yeah, you're nodding, but your head's not there. If that was you in that meeting, I apologize. But anyway, and the moment carried on. And then, then after that meeting, I was like, you know, I, I, I got to go home and just try and probably left it at home. Maybe I just imagined this because, you know, I do it every day, take the wallet. It's probably on the dining room table home. Raced home, pulled in there, ran inside, 
it's not in the dining room table. It's, where is this wallet? And you're going through everything, I'm SMSing fee. Where have you put my wallet? You know? when, when in doubt, blame your wife. You know? That's why I give flowers every now and then. He's like, I didn't touch your wallet. So I'm like, where the heck is it? And you're pacing now, and that's no longer skiing for frantic. Where's my wallet? Where's my wallet? And I'm thinking, maybe, maybe someone stole it at the, rest, the coffee shop. That's, or I left it. Let me go back. And I jumped in the car, and as I was reversing at pace, I look in the wind, 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 windscreen behind me, the rear review mirror, that's the, that's the terminology, and uh, a gentleman is running full pace at my car from down the road with a lady with a bandaged head limping behind him. And I'm going, here we go. The end of the world has come. The zombies are they're here. This is how it's going to end. And I just thought, this is one of those days. You know, I'm just trying. I'm like, find the gear. And I'm grinding, trying to beat the, this guy's sprinting me. And I'm just like, this is, this is how it ends. This is how Gabe Phillips disappears in life. This is it. Lost my wallet and taken by the zombies. But uh, it wasn't zombies, just to let you know if you're nervous what's going on there. It was a, a, it was a, a couple who were down and out and who had been doing the rounds that day because it was bin day. And they had been checking in the bins as people do on, on, those, on those moments. And this guy ran. And as he got to my window and he knocked and he saw my very pale, paler than normal face, just I hasten to add, shocked, he said, he shouted at me, your wallet! And hitting my window, he said, it was on your roof. It fell off two hours ago. Two hours ago. I look at these people and says, we've been waiting for you. <laughs> Sitting at the end with his wife with the bandaged head. I'm like, what's wrong with your wife? And, um, and uh, there was nothing wrong with her. She's new fashion. Um, but the amazing thing, I digress. I apologize. I really shouldn't tell these stories when I'm not feeling great. <laughs> but the amazing thing, I got my wallet back, and then I was like, guys, you know what? I'm going to go and get you some money because you guys are amazing people. So when I drew some cash, you just say thank you for being people of integrity who would wait. But the amazing thing was the weight, the relief that came at just getting my wallet back, a little brown thing with just a, not much cash at all, few receipts and a couple cards. The relief would have been as if I had found a long-lost lover had returned to me. It's like, <sighs> I have no long-lost lovers, Corinne, just to let you know. Just <laughs> That's why I use the words as if. It's a m metaphor. I have story didn't go as I planned. <laughs> what are we talking about this morning? We're all obsessed with lost stuff. There's my point. I got it. But I, I can tell you, and I believe that all of us have had that moment, where did I put my phone? Where did I put that thing? Where have I put that piece of paper? Where did I put, where is it? And we're obsessed with it. And Jesus knows that panic inside the human heart. He knows that condition, that preoccupied state that most human hearts are inclined towards, so much so. And we'll get to the scripture now. If this is how Luke chapter 15 begins. Sarah, if you can put it up for us now. These are the only three verses we're going to read this morning. I'm going to preach a little differently. It starts off like this. It said, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. Just a couple notes just to help us along this way. As he says, there's, there's two categories of people hanging around Jesus. There's tax collectors, who they say are dishonest, and sinners. Now, let me tell you, you know that you are a bad kind of sinner when the, the normal sinners don't want to be referred with you. No, 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 it's tax collectors and us. Don't put those guys with us. Those guys are dodgy. Yeah, 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 sure, we've been at brothels and stealing and killing, and, but tax collectors, they're the worst. 
Let me tell you why. Tax collectors were the most hated people in society. They were Jewish people who had been hired by the Romans to collect taxes on their behalf. So they were collecting tax out of the Jewish people, giving money to Rome, and the way they got paid was you can charge as much as you want more that you can have for your own pocket. So these were Jewish people robbing their own people for the sake of a foreign oppressive nation. The Jews did not like tax collectors. So much so that the sinner says, don't put us with them. The tax collectors, even they were not even allowed to tithe a church with that money. The church, you know you are dodgier when the church aren't taking your money. That's just a joke. But anyway, no, we don't want your money. You can keep your money. But tax collectors and sinners, sinners, just your, your normal sinners, they're all, the, the, all the other stuff besides the tax collectors, they were all these in this group called sinners. And I love what it says here. It says, these guys gathered around to listen as Jesus taught. Who was hanging around Jesus? The most hated, the most vile, the tax collectors and sinners hung around Jesus. I think this is profound because, you see, if you want to know the heart of us here at Life Changes Church, is our heart, and what, what this sort of story is intimating, is that the worst of the worst were the closest and had the front row seats to Jesus. So for me here, I go, what's my prayer? My prayer is that the front rows, will, this is not a, a type of hierarchy where the dodgier people sit at the back. Yeah, I, I see you, the heart family. Now, Dodgy people at the back, and then the good, the, and as you progress in the Christian life, you move forward. Now, work with me here. My prayer is that actually the, the worst of the worst will say, we, hey, it's, it's a safe place to go at Life Changes. That's a great place. I'm going to go to the front row. I'm going to go press and ride in. I want to tell you right now that actually we want to be a church, whereas Brett mentioned earlier, that where we, people can belong before they have to believe. Where people aren't walking in the front door saying, actually, here's a tick list before you can enter. No, no, people can say, no, I can come in as I am, because that's the call of the gospel. Somebody once said, a church without the broken is a broken church. Because Jesus told us that he did not come for the healthy, he came for the sick. So we see this, just very briefly, just to give us a, an update of where we are. And then there's this other group, the third group. Tax collectors, sinners, they pressing in towards Jesus. A third group. In verse 2, it says, This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I just, I, I, in my Bible, I've underlined that he welcomes and he eats with sinners. This is an amazing thing. These guys, they're getting so frustrated by this. They are so offended by this. They're like, how dare Jesus hang out with those sort of people? I can imagine the questions they're asking. Why do those people like Jesus? None of them are coming to our meetings. None of them are coming to our preaching. Why, do, why does Jesus like them? What have they got in common? And they're probably whispering, does Jesus condone their behavior? If they're coming close to Jesus, is he condoning what they are doing? Is he for the tax collector? Because then actually, I don't know if we want anything to do with him. You see, they were perplexed and vexed. And I believe the real reason why these guys, the religious leaders of the, of the day and of the law, they were perplexed and vexed, I believe, because they were losing power and influence. You see, the Pharisees were people who had power and influence in that day because they determined who was in and who was out. Now comes another rabbi named Jesus saying, I'm turning on the head. Tax collector, come to the front. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Sinner, come here. I'm coming to you. Come, I want to eat at your home. The Pharisees, no, 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 no. We've determined they're out. You can't come and turn this on his head. They're losing power and influence. You see, this, this question, I'd love to understand that they said he eats with sinners. 
You know, if Jesus didn't eat with sinners, he would have ate, ate every meal alone. <laughs> Do you know that? If Jesus, who was God, did not sit and eat with sinners, he would have been that guy in the corner chowing by himself. Family meal for one. No, no, no. But they did not see their own blindness in this journey. But I love this question. Jesus, they ask, they say, why does he do this? And Jesus, in response, in defense of his ministry, because they're going, is this guy actually a blasphemer? What's going on with this guy? In defense of his ministry, he says, I love Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, you guys, come. I'm going to tell you what's going on here. Let me show you my manifesto. No, he says, I'm going to tell you three stories. And they all lean in. Three groups of people, tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees are like leaning. And Jesus answers them with these three stories. Very quickly, the first one. Mark mentioned last week is the 99 and the 1. And, and Jesus gets, he's a master communicator, he calls them in and he goes, guys, let me explain. He says, how many of you, if you had 100 sheep and one of them went astray, you'd go out and look for it? And all of them are like, this is a trick question. But for the first time in their lives, all three groups start nodding together. Yes. Because no matter how wicked you are, no matter how righteous you are, Jesus knows we're all obsessed with lost stuff. So he goes, if you lost one of your prized sheep and it went astray, how many of you would not go off and find it? Yeah, yeah, he goes, actually, that's the same thing as my heavenly father. You see, Jesus could have changed that story to you've got 99 problems, but the lost ain't one. It's a reference for the people this, these days. <laughs> Again, work on your cultural references, Gabe. Anyway, let's move on. Throw that one out. I, I love the fact that actually Jesus in this first story is just saying, actually, he starts equating the 99 sheep and the one that goes astray, saying the heavenly father's the same. He cares about the one that goes astray. You know what? Us as Life Change Church, we said at the beginning, we would plant this congregation if it was for one. And that was not some generic speak because we had low expectations of how many people would come. But we said, is it worth it getting up at 6.30 every Sunday and having teams come in and sweep the floors and vacuum and move chairs and move desks week in and week out and, and have to confront boxing rings and then having to have our lights stolen? Most weeks stuff happens, yeah? And having all these hardships and tough things and the sound not working because the cables have been broken. Would we do that every week for one? And we've said yes. If it's for one lost person, we'll do that because that's what our Heavenly Father does. And this is who we are. You know what? If you look at your right and left and you see your empty seats, God cares about that empty seat. Not because He cares about filling up a building, but because He cares about who it represents. The one. This is who we are called to be. I want to tell you, you and I, we are church obsessed with lost things. Second story he tells, and these guys are nodding and they're like, Jesus, where's he going with this? He says, you know, what about, okay, forget the sheep. He said, what if you had 10 coins and you lost one of them? How many of you would not move things around and move everything to find that one lost coin? Now, the coin wasn't just a five rand coin. This was a lady's dowry. So this was a lot more money. But how many of you, if you lost, if you had 10 hundred rand notes and you lost one, would, would do everything to find that? They all start nodding. Yeah, because he knows people are obsessed with lost stuff. Could have been the parable of the wallet. He knows. He knows. And they all start nodding. I don't know about you, but when I, I've had this happen to me the other day, about a, you know, a few years back now, actually, was um, got an uh, SMS in the middle of the night, 10, 10 at night, da 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 da. Someone's just been spent my money in Namibia. And I'm here in Sunningdale. 2,500 rand for a purchase somewhere in Vintok. And then you go, another one. I'm like, 
What's going on here? I don't know if this ever happened to anyone else. And I'm rushing on the computer. I'm trying to cancel things because somebody had taken my card and duplicated it and had gone to Namibia and was spending my cash. It wasn't a big shopping spree because there wasn't lots in there. They were very disappointed. Ah, pastor's card. No. <laughs> but you know what? It was this terrifying thing that as my money was leaving me, you know, I didn't go, oh, you know what? I don't have it anymore. Bad luck. Because if something's lost, it doesn't mean it loses its value. I have a hundred rand note, uh, note I, don't put, I don't know where I put it, just because I don't have it in my possession doesn't mean it's any, worth anything less. That's good. Just some demonic activity going out there with the kids. <laughs> this is church. But here's the thing. What good is something having value if it stays unused? Let me say this, we are a church who obsessed with lost things. Finally, for time's sake, he gets to his third story, probably the most famous of the lot. And Jesus, he's got these guys, they're all in the mass communicator, doing a much better job than I, but, but pulling these people in with these tails, because he knows their hearts, he knows they're obsessed with lost things. They go, sheep, yeah, I would do that. Yeah, tax collectors and Pharisees alike are getting common ground for the first time, like, He's got us, he's got it, they're all leaning in, where's Jesus taking us in the story? And then Jesus says, let me tell you another story. There was a father and he had two sons. And he said, the youngest son came to his father and said, dad, actually, I'm tired of living at home now. I want my inheritance now and I want to to go. Give me my inheritance. Basically what he was saying in that day and age, he was saying, dad, I wish you were dead. And at the very least, I want to live as if you were dead. So give me my inheritance now. Inheritance you get when somebody dies. So he says, actually, Dad, I want to live as if you are dead. Give me my money now. Now Jesus has struck a nerve with these people. Because in that culture, dishonoring the fa- your father like that, tax collector or Pharisee, sinner or saved, whichever side you are, they all would have gone, oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. That oh, tax collector, like, tax collector, you're not that bad. That boy, how dare he say that to his father? The next thing was even more shocking in this context as the, as the father, he says, the father, and the, the, you can imagine the people like, gave him a clap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the next line. He goes, no, no. The father then gave him his inheritance. That means the father said, assented to what the son was asking and said, I'm going to give you everything and as if I was dead. It's a massive, massive movement this year. And the story goes on, says that the younger son, he takes the money and he goes to a far country, a place far off. So he, goes, he goes far physically and geographically, but he also goes far spiritually and emotionally with everything. He goes the whole way. And this man, Mr. Baltas, he went and he spent it all on wild living, lavish living. He lived beyond his means. He was, he was cashing in checks he could not pay. He was saying, drinks are on me. You can imagine the scene playing out before you, that he's in the clubs, he's, he's hanging out with women that he shouldn't be hanging out with. He's buying all the drinks. He's saying, no, he's going to, buying all the new clothes and new outfits. He's spending the bucks as if his dad is dead and as if this will just keep going forever. He went far and he went wild. And the Bible tells us that in a very short while, he had wasted everything that the father had taken a lifetime to amass. Wasted everything. The story goes on, and I can imagine the, the guy's leaning in and just every word going, this, this son is shocking, shocking. Jesus takes it up. He says, actually, let me, let me crank it up a little notch. He says, this boy, son, he loses everything. The friends that he had overnight disappeared because no, no more money, no more drinks were on him, so they're gone. 
And all of a sudden, he's looking left and right, and he's, there's no friends to call. No, no one's answering his calls anymore because the money's gone. The money's dried up. So this lad then suddenly doesn't know where to go. So he says, I need a job. And the only job he can find is one in a pig pen. At this point, the collective group of Jewish tax collectors, sin and Pharisees went, highball. Paraphrased, the message version. They went, no ways. A pig pen. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, pig pen. Why? Because Jewish people, you don't have anything to do with pigs. You don't touch it. You don't eat it. You don't go near it or you are unclean. Even the tax collector knows that thing. He's like, yeah, I'll steal your money, but don't give me bacon. No ways. Keep that thing, please. And he goes, wait, Jesus goes, wait, you don't even know the half of it. He was in the, the, the pig sty working. He starts getting hungry, and he starts fantasizing eating the pig food. These guys are like, oh, my gosh. This is the worst story ever. And guys are dry heaving on the side, weeping, saying, oh, this is terrible, Jesus. Terrible. And then Jesus says, you know what, then the scripture tells, Jesus says this, he says, and then the boy came to his senses, came to his senses. <laughs> Suddenly he had a revelation of what he was doing, where he was, and actually something shifted in him where he realized, actually I've hit rock bottom, I need to come to my senses, something has to change. Here's the thing, most of us will either learn two ways, out of hitting rock bottom or revelation. Sadly, Gabe Phillips has learned I've hitting rock bottom way too many times. I want to say today, we get opportunities. Will we go all the way or we come to our senses because the word of God is preached? That's for free. Here's the thing though. He came to his senses and the Bible tells us this, that what this means was he said, I'm going to go back to my dad because there, even the servants are treated better than I am right now. He says, even they have food. So let me go back to my dad and I'll be a servant. I'll work back the debt that I've paid up. I've messed up. And he's, you can imagine the anguish and and the wrestle inside this boy. I'm going to go back to my dad and he knows the culture. He knows the context. It's coming. But he said, but you know what? I'm going to go home. And this is when the story goes on and Jesus says, the boy starts to go home. And this is when the scripture here, it says, but while he was a long way off, he's on his way home. While he was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with dash. Now, I can imagine Jesus was said, I just imagine Jesus doing this thing. And the father saw his pig infested, smelling boy who's wasted the money, lived as if his dad was dead, the highest offense. That boy is coming with his head bowed, trudging all the way home with a, 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 the, the tune from Greatest Showman playing in the background, because that's what I imagine. And coming home, and he says, and the father saw him and was filled with, and I can imagine these guys filling in the gap going, anger. You? Text her anger, anger, definitely, punishment, frustration, uh, uh, very frustrated with this boy, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, the boy's going to, yeah, yeah, and they start to agree, all these guys start probably agreeing for the first time, the father justified anger, yeah, yeah, and then, you know what, if Jesus had left that story there and said, 100%, amen, they all would have left going, great story, Jesus, that guy's really good, they're going to go, I'm going to go talk to my boy at home and tell him what happens to sons that dishonor their father. It's a great dinner time conversation tonight. Thank you, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He goes, the father saw him from a long way off, and he was filled with compassion. And they can imagine him all like, what? Why? And, and uh, this is huge, because actually, I think for us, the word compassion can mean soft and, uh, 
the Greek understanding of compassion here is compassion means wild joy and pain as if it was his own. The father was filled with wild joy and his boy's pain as if it was his own. The father saw him and was filled with compassion. The next bit of the story is where it really revs up a little bit. It says this, he ran to his son. This is amazing. The father ran to his son. His boy's coming back. The, the odor's probably reaching him before the boy does. It says the father ran to him. The Jewish audience going, this is getting ridiculous now. Why? Because men in Jewish societies never run. Only the poor will run or those who are in trouble. Men don't run in our society because it shows that you are, you're rushed and you're under pressure. But in this story, Jesus has the father running, not away from his son, but towards his son. So the picture is they're wearing robes, is that this man, dignified father, had to hike up his robe as if he was a little girl and run all the way to his boy. Running, embarrassing himself in the culture of that day. The father ran toward his boy. He gets there. He throws, throws his arms around him, and he starts to kiss him. The Bible says, and it kissed him. The proper translation says, and he kissed him, and kissed him, and kissed him. That's not just one like, nice to have you home, boy. This was a wild, embarrassing, lavish act of dad. Dad, 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 no, stop it. The father saw his boy coming home. And then there's another word that comes that shocks me. It says, the father says, quick. Let's go, it's time to quick, we've got to go celebrate. I'm like, whoa, let's slow it down, you know. This boy's wasted your money. Put him in a halfway house for a while. He needs to learn his lesson. Actually, give him a time out. You know, quick as a hard, no. Slow it down, he needs to understand the weight of what he's done. But this father operates in a different way. He says, quick, he says, quick, let's get the ring Get the sandals, the robe, get the fattened calf, the fattened calf that they'd been saving for a massive celebration. They'd been fattening up that cow for a massive jaw. They'd been fattening it up for Nick and Melinda's wedding, you know, fattening that thing up. And the father says, no, 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 now's the time. Get that thing, slaughter it, we are going to party. You see, this is understanding that you and I are sons by birth, not by worth. Why is the father, the father's not celebrating because that son is worthy of it. The father's celebrating because he was born into it. If you want to know what heaven is like, I don't know about you, but sometimes at funerals you're tempted, oh, it's like this gentle place with harps and all that and looking down and, and clouds and little cherubim floating around. This chapter smashes that out, the water, because actually what every story finishes with says, the 99 sheep, he finds the one, there's a massive celebration in heaven. The lost coin, there's a massive throwdown in heaven. This story tells us they killed the fattened calf. There were stakes for days. There was joining the tunes. The next little pastor tells us that the older brother heard the music from the fields. This was not some quiet little tea party. This was a jewel. And Jesus is saying, this is heaven. If you don't like partying and celebration, maybe you're going to the wrong place. This is the attitude of our father, the partying, dancing, running, rejoicing father. I'll bring this into land now. The story goes on, and as they're about to celebrate, the older brother, there's a second brother who was the whole time laboring in the field. And see, the brother suddenly hears the music, as I said, from a long way off. He hears the music, and, and, and he's, what, what's going on? A servant comes and says, 
um, the guy says, what, what's that noise? Well, you know your younger brother? Yeah. He's come home, and uh, your dad's taken the calf that was probably being saved for your wedding or your 21st, or, and he's given it to him. And he says, the next line says, and the older brother was filled with. And they were like, trick question. <laughs> he's going to get us. The older brother was filled with what you and I would all be filled with, anger. Not fair. That's not right. That was mine. And the story goes on as a, it's an amazing thing as the, the father comes out and he gets so angry. This boy's so angry. He says, Dad, you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. I'm like, don't you understand? Can you see our religion makes us settle? There was always a calf on offer, but he wanted, uh, I'll take a scrawny goat, thanks. Just religions are just weird things in our heads. But this amazing thing, this massive party's going in. He refuses to go in. But the Bible tells us the father again, the father again lands the story. The Bible says the father came out to him, pleaded with him, begged with him, entreated with him. That's all the words that are used in that passage there. The father went out and pleaded for his son to come in. And in this conversation, if you go read it at home, the reason is given. The father gives a reason why he's celebrating. He's celebrating. He says, why, son? Because that which was lost is now found. That which was dead is now alive. Let me make a couple statements when you land here. Is that you and I, this local church thing, this thing that we do on Sundays but live with our lives Monday through Saturday. The local church is a hospital. But not a hospital just to n keep nursing our old wounds and putting bandages over one another and keeping each other comfortable. No, this is a hospital. This is an emergency ward where dead things come alive. A friend of mine named Brad Clainsmith, who's the lead singer of Gangs of Ballet, years ago went on a trip to Australia. He's a, a God-fearing man, and he went to a church in Australia, and he was the most liberal Christian I knew, if I can use that word, because he was, he was always hanging out with people that I was like, oh, I don't know if you should be hanging out with those people. And he was always going to places where I don't think you should be going there. That's why they started the band, so they could have influence in places that other people wouldn't go. He was this guy, and he went to Australia to a friend's church, and he walked in, and he said he felt offended at the amount of freedom they had there. He said the reason why was they, they had this wild moment. And they, said the guy, they said, we've got some testimonies. And the crowd went, rah. He was like, this is not church, surely. And three guys who he said looked like they were orcs from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Literally just uh, came up to the front. And they, they got up there and they, they probably, I think, um, maybe it's my imagination, but they like left their beer there uh, at their seat and came up like this and got the mic. And then they start to tell, test me and say, I came to this church last week and I was angry at this. They're saying this thing and saying, but this church and this Jesus, he's effing amazing. And everyone was, he was like this, eyes bulging going, you can't say that. He said, the problem was the church were leaping on their seats going, ah, amazing. And he's like, don't encourage him. And they went down the line as these guys described Jesus not in our nice and meek and mild way, but we're going, something is different. He's effing amazing. The amazing thing is afterwards, the pastor went up to Brad and said, Brad, how do you like the service, brother? <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Coffee was great. Bit of Amarula in there as well. I don't know. But the guy said, Brad, I see that you're uncomfortable in the service. He said, yeah, that's one way of putting it. He said, Brad, I think actually you don't have a, a stylistic problem here where you're thinking, that, oh, that's not how church goes. He said, Brad, you've got a theological problem. I was like, what do you mean, Drew? 
says, well, actually, Brad, if you understand that last week, the scriptures tells us that those men were dead. But this week, they're alive. If you went to a funeral and you saw a dead body get up, and the first thing they did was swear, you wouldn't go, wash out your mouth. <laughs> Just a thought. If you went to a funeral, and the dead person sat up and went, you would go, come on! That is unbelievable! It probably wouldn't be my first reaction. I'd probably run out. <laughs> Sorry. But then come in and celebrate. But I digress. Sometimes I think you and I, we get so desensitized, we, de- we get so sanitized, for the lack of a better word, where we, get, we think Christianity is a behavior modification system, where Jesus says, no, it's an all-out pursuit for things that are dead to come alive, for things that are lost to be found, and for us to never stop. And the people who are celebrating are those doing the finding. And the people who are doing the sulking are those who are saying, that's not fair. I say, can we be a church who are obsessed with lost stuff, not just because this is a, a campaign or because we want to fill up seats, but because this is our Father. This is what He rejoices over. I want to land with this. Is this whole story. Actually, it's been misentitled many times. It's been called the prodigal son or the, the story of the two sons. This is not about a prodigal son. It's not about a, a, a religious son. It's about a father. Actually, today I want to say that there are prodigals here. What does prodigal mean? People who've run away. Maybe, maybe you haven't run to a far place, but you've run far spiritually. And you've wasted the things God has given you. You've wasted resources. You've wasted years, wasted time. I want to say today is a day for you to come to your senses. Don't wait another day for rock bottom. Allow revelation to awaken out that actually there's your father's home and he says, come home. Stop living a life of sin. Stop living in the pigsty. Repent and come home. Repentance is simply this. Repent. Return to the penthouse. Actually, repentance is not coming in, let me be your servant. The father turned on the head and didn't say, yeah, repentance is coming, work now. Repentance was come, you return to the main suite. That is repentance. Stop living as if you are a slave, live as a son. Let me tell you that there are also other people here who are older brothers, and I probably am in part of this category. There are older brothers here who need to come to their senses too who need to have revelation today. Stop living angry, critical, judgmental, small lives and start to understand the mission of God to beat in our hearts again. The prodigal, the Pharisee, the self-destructive, the self-righteous. There's a little bit of both in all of us. But this story is actually about the father. Let me tell you three things that I learned about the father. The father, number one, seeks. The story the father seeks Every day, the father's seeking for the children to come home, for the lost to come home. He'll never stop seeking. He searches out. He runs far. His grace runs further still. You think you're far, the, far gone? His grace is seeking you out further than you could ever imagine. Let me tell you, secondly, the father doesn't just seek. He runs. The only time we ever see the, the, the person of Jesus or God described as running in the Bible is running to the sinner coming home. He's never rushed, he's never hurried, he's never nervous, he's never stressed, he's never sweating. He's running to the sinner coming home. That is the postures of our Father's heart. Maybe you're saying, some people, I've heard people say this logic. I can't come back to church because I've messed up too bad. I'm like, run that logic with me. I'm too sick, I can't go to the doctor. 
No one would say that. And yet, I know my heart. I'm, I've messed up. I still can't tell people at the church. This is the place where lost things are found. This is the place where dead things come alive, where forgiveness flows, where the, the, the tax collector and sinner can find freedom. Let's make it easy for sinners to come home. Somebody once said this. They said that, they said, and this was an indictment to the church, they said it's easier to come to go back to God than it is to come back to your church. I thought, let that never be the case about Life Changes Milton. Let that be the case where people know that this is a place they can come to. Finally, he seeks, the father runs, and he celebrates. I love that picture of the father dancing wildly, passionately, clothing his son, putting his robe over the son, over the pigsty, pigsty mess and smell, not concerned about it, saying, this is my son, kissing and kissing and kissing him. This is who the father is. There's a man named Chris Hodges who leads a church in America, and he tells a story that will sum this whole thing up. He said, I had five kids, and he was in a Walmart that day. He said, I had my five kids. I love them all amazingly and equally different, but love them. And he says, these five kids are there, and he said, we're all shopping, and it's a massive, one of those massive aisles going, uh, as far as the eyes can see. And he says, as we were going with the fi five kids, he suddenly said, looked around after about half an hour of shopping and going, who's seen Joseph, the youngest? Where's Joseph? I don't know, with you, just you. Joseph! Mild panic. Joseph! Nothing. Let's just talk to this. Let me just talk to this guy. Sorry, sir, have you seen that? Well, I had five kids. I only got four now. Where's the fifth one? He says, I don't think we have a special that. No, no, my kids. Not. And he, and he tried to engage, and he said, no, no, I don't know. We'll get the word out, and they're running. But then all of a sudden, it's no longer just this casual. The dad's like this. So the dad says he gets the four kids, and he says, you guys stay here. By the Omo aisle, always a safe place. There's no weird people shopping in that aisle, let's be honest, just moms. Anyway, but he's starting to run up and down. He's like, Joseph, and all of a sudden the shopping is forgotten, everything is forgotten, and he's at an all-out pursuit for Joseph. Where is Joseph? Where is Joseph? His panic comes, Joseph! And eventually they found Joseph. He had got into the back aisle and he had suddenly disappeared at the back. They found Joseph and reunited. And his thesis was saying, in that moment, did I stop caring about my four kids? No. But he says, in that moment, everyone was on the mission of find Joseph. Sins go, oh, you know what? Four out of five, that was an okay trip. <laughs> you know what? 80%, it's an A. No, in that moment, he was like, I have to find Joseph. Let me tell you, I pray in my heart, is there a Joseph that's missing here? Is there the Joseph in your family that you've, I don't know where they're gone. I don't know where they stand with God. A Joseph, maybe they've, too, they've messed up too bad. I pray that our hearts won't go, oh, it's good enough. But we, our hearts will beat with the things that beat for us. Let me finish with this line, that we are a church obsessed with lost things because we have a father who's obsessed with lost things. Let's pray.